All right, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're going to have a part two, I guess that's uh, where it needs to be. Revelation chapter number three. I hated to interrupt our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, but I, I felt so strongly about completing this message and uh, uh, just some things that, uh, that need to be added to what was said this morning. And I promise I won't keep you any longer than is necessary. I, 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 if I can say what's on my heart in just a short amount of time, I will, but uh, that's not a promise. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's probably not even a probability, so uh, to be honest with you. But uh, Revelation chapter number 3, and we pick up in verse 20. Behold. Drop what you're doing, stop, think, look, listen. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Throughout this series, uh, I've repeatedly, as I did this morning, repeatedly mentioned our need to see our need. And, And when I say that, I'm not just saying that in reference to you. I use the word our. We. I'm including myself because it's so very difficult. I was telling someone this week, back when I was preaching revival meetings, and I, maybe I've said this before, but we often uh, we often sing as an invitation song, the song, Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart Today. I kept a copy of that song in my Bible, and uh, during the course of the service while I was sitting there waiting to preach, at some time, uh, whether through the announcements or whatever, but before I got up to preach, I always would read that to myself and just think about those words and uh, ask God to show me if there was anything in my heart, anything in my life that was displeasing to him that might hinder me preaching the word of God and it being effective. And so uh, I recognize the need to, to see my need. And in this letter to this proud lukewarm church at Laodicea, that's exactly what we see because uh, sadly we don't always see things as they really are. And this is a good example of what I'm talking about. You know, in the letter, you don't need to turn there, but in chapter 2 and verse number 9 in the letter to the, to the church at Smyrna, now, this is the persecuted church. These people are going through horrible, terrible hardships. They, they're not living in the lap of prosperity like those at Laodicea. So they're going through all of these troubles, and the Lord says in verse 9, Thou art rich. Thou art rich. But now in his letter to this proud, prosperous church, he says, Thou art poor. Thou art poor. 
And after rebuking them, as we saw this morning, he revealed, as I said, he revealed the result of it. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And the reason for it and the remedy for their condition, I close this morning by saying that he asserted his love. He warned them of chastisement, and then he called them for, uh, to repentance. But then he closes the letter. When he comes down to the close of the letter here, he does something entirely different. Remember, he has been speaking to the church as a whole. But now he's speaking to the individual members. And this is a personal plea to each one of them. And that's an important factor for us to understand when we think about this letter. Because notice verse 20, Behold, I... Stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I know just about every Christian here has uh, heard reference to that. There have been tracts written in regards to the matter of salvation and uh, a lot of misunderstanding about that. And I know sometimes we use the phraseology in trying to lead someone to the Lord you need to open the door of your heart and uh, to let him in and to trust him as your Savior. Uh, the famous painting by Holman Hunt that's in uh, St. Paul's in London that has uh, been admired by so many uh, gave a, a, a picture of him standing at the door. Now, think about it. The vines are covering the door. The hinges are rusty. And uh, there's no knob on the outside. He's standing there with a light in one hand, his uplifted hand as to knock in the other hand. And he's standing there. A little girl, a little girl said to her daddy as they were standing there looking at that picture, said, Daddy, did he ever get in? Did he ever get in? That, that's, that's a good question. Did he ever get in? Now, my point is, when the Lord speaks to them here about standing at the door and knocking, remember, he is speaking to professing Christians. While this might be, in a sense, applied to somebody that is unsaved because we do accept or receive Christ as our Savior. I understand that, and it might not seem like a big deal to some people, but it's a big deal when we're considering this letter. This has to do with a church that he is writing the letter to, and now it's as though he is speaking to each individual one in the church, not the church as a whole, but rather to each individual member. And he's knocking at the door and saying, if any man will open, I'll enter in and sup with him and he with me. You know, people tend to become like those around them. Right? I mean, the Bible warns us about being in the presence of evil company. Uh, it, it has a way of corrupting us. And so we tend to become like people that we are that we hang around and that's especially true of new christians you know think about the day that you receive christ as your savior 
I can't really describe it. I know in preaching many times I've tried to. I, I said, you know, I walked out of the Community Baptist Church in Willard, Missouri, like I was walking on air. Seemed like a thousand pounds had been lifted off my shoulders, and I could hear the birds singing, and they sound like they were all singing "Amazing Grace." And I, I, I was so thrilled, so excited, and just absolutely uh, the one, most wonderful thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And and I think every Christian here remembers a time like that. You might not describe it like that. I understand. All of us emotionally experience things different. But you had a moment like that, the most wonderful moment of your life that you received Christ as your Savior. But over time, we tend to become like those that we are around. And if we're in a good, sound, Bible-believing church and we're getting fed, you know, that's a wonderful thing, but... uh, That's often not the case. It's like I heard someone say many years ago, you know, the average Christian, you know, uh, would have to backslide to be in fellowship with the average church, you know, the average new Christian. Somebody gets saved, and and for them to be in fellowship with the church, they'd have to go backwards. Well, that's exactly what happens to a lot of young Christians. They're saved, they're on their way to heaven, and they're excited, and they go to work, and they tell the people at work, and they just want to share it with everyone. But after a while, after a while, well, they just kind of settle in like everyone else. This verse is important because it's telling us that we can live in fellowship with Christ, notice, even if others don't. Regardless of what the church as a whole does, we can live in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to encourage us because, you know, um, a, a, a lot of times if we let the church set the tone, we just, as I said this morning, we just satisfy for being being average. What, what, you know, as long you know, so and so, he's been a member here for years and years. He's a he's a good Christian man, and I feel like I'm I'm mighty close to being as good as he is. So I must be all right. Well, that doesn't mean you're all right. Remember this: the first business of a Christian is to become a better Christian. That's why we tell people when they make a profession of faith, all right, now your first act of obedience is to follow the Lord in baptism. And that's important that they understand that. After a birth, there ought to be growth. And when a person is born again, spiritual growth is is a process. And, And we're in that process as long as we're in this world. You know, it's not like the physical realm where, as, I, as I've said, you know, when I was a boy, Daddy was 5'8", and uh, I always wanted to be six feet tall. I want to be big and like Uncle Urban, you know, and, uh, man, I'd measure my height over and over again, and finally I got to six foot, and I got a, a little bit above that, and so, uh, so I... That, that's fine. But I stopped growing. I never did get seven foot. Maybe if I'd prayed about it, but no. I, 
but you, you see what I'm saying? In the physical realm, there are these limitations. But when it comes to our spiritual growth after we're saved, there is no limit because none of us measure up to Jesus. And he is our model. He is our example. So we're in this never-ending process. And I remind you again that the, I think the best definition of someone who is backslidden is when we cease to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be the most knowledgeable, spiritual, very best Christian in this church. Might be. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I can think of a lot of folks that I would put maybe in the top ten list that, man, I'll tell you what, uh, boy, we've got some great members, you know. I, it doesn't make any difference if you are number one. We all voted on it. Yeah, so-and-so, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they're, they're number one. They are the elite. They're the top dog. They're right there, the very best. And let me tell you, that's not anywhere near good enough to what you ought to be. And when we get satisfied that I've, I've reached the top of the hill, I, you know, I, I, I found a level spot and now I can slack off, that's when we're backslidden. Because we ought to continue in our spiritual growth till the very day that we die. And the danger in not doing that is uh, manifold. There's a number of different things that can happen and none of them are good. You know, sometimes we, we suppose that somebody that we know somebody highly and we see them do something that is awful, terrible, totally out of the will of God and we say to ourselves, I'll tell you what, I'd never do that. Don't, don't kid yourself. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One of the most dangerous things that we can do is to, is to think that it could never happen to us because it certainly could. So, the first business of a new Christian is to become a better Christian. It's a continual process that ought to be lifelong. But how in the world do we do that? How do, how, how do we keep, after all of the years, how do we keep progressing? Well, I'll say it again. And I often say to myself, I'll bet they're getting tired of that. You know, because, you know, it's not like I'm trying to say something new. I say that on purpose because those things are and there in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2 he says looking unto Jesus the author and what and the finisher of our faith that is the only way that we can keep this growth process going because when we take our eyes off of him, we're going to be in trouble. And growing into the likeness of Christ ought to be our primary and our permanent pursuit. And uh, if we're not careful, we'll get distracted by looking at others or by measuring ourselves against others. And Paul, you know, don't compare yourself to others. 
because Christ is the standard and don't ever become proud that you have finally arrived and what did they say at Laodicea? We have need of nothing. The more I think about that, the more shocking it is that how could any professing Christian make a statement like that? We have need of nothing. That, that is amazing. And yet that's exactly where they're at. So when we and our growth stops and so we have to keep our focus on others instead of looking toward others. We have to determine in our heart that regardless of what others do, I'm going to be an example of the believer. I love that phrase over there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12. And Paul says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And then he gives us a list. He says, In word, in conversation, which means in our behavior, in charity, which means love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And he could have gone on and on and on. He's just making the point here that we are to be an example to everyone else. And every Christian here, every church member here ought to determine in your heart, I'm going to live my life in a way that will be a good example to every other member in this church. You can be a light in the night. You can be a spark that that literally ignites a revival that reaches out to maybe just a handful in the beginning, but eventually a revival that affects the entire church. You can help raise somebody else up out of the pit of complacency. Because believe me, there are those that have settled into that, into that deep, dark place and I don't doubt whether they're saved or not, but they're not growing and they've become complacent in their heart and they just... So God can use you to help someone else overcome their lukewarmness and to bring an end to that. the family being the fabric of society and that's true in so many ways because we can't have a strong church unless we have strong families and if you know strong families produce strong Christian people but it becomes a legacy sometimes handed down from one generation to another generation to where our children's expectations rise any higher I'm doing just as well as mom and dad did. That, that you know, I'm making a passing grade. You have are in fellowship with Christ, and that's what he's talking about here. He says, "I want to come in." So me, and that that's implying as it was in those days when they sat down and. By the way, back then, you know, they had conversation. It was a time of sharing, and that's what fellowship means, the sharing one with 
somebody will pick up on that. You know, usually, and especially after, after you, you know, pastor. observing the way and, and you just say on and it's not going to end well and so many times that is exactly right you can just see it happening and that can become a legacy that needs to be broken in a family. And, and you, if you're here this evening and a child of God, I'm telling you, you can make a difference when you live your life in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be exactly what somebody else needs to get Christian growth. So what's going to motivate us? Well, there really shouldn't be anything more than that needed to fellowship with Christ himself, to live in communion with him. But still there's something it seems that we need something to spur us on that will motivate us to, to do all that we can. And I think the best way maybe to think of that is to consider what's at stake. What is at stake? Because when we consider what is at stake, when we refuse to open that door, when we refuse to hear the knock, we refuse his request to enter into our life. We're going to end up depriving ourselves of something that we are in desperate need of. And that just doesn't even make any sense, does it? So keep in mind that your, your decisions, your choices, consequences, we forever profit in what he demands and what he de We profit as a result of giving God what he demands in our life. And that's why he is so intent on gaining entrance into your life. It's not like idea you know that uh, that we can't really live the Christian life and be happy I want you to be happy in him we don't need anything well, 
a different kind of God might have said, well, I'm through with you. And God would have been perfectly justified, as it were, based on our attitude and actions of saying, I'm going to cast you off forever because you have failed. I'm going to forsake you. Next time you need me, I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And instead of doing that, he's standing at the door, knocking for entrance into our life. Why? So he can have communion with us. You see, that contributes to our holiness. It contributes to our happiness. It contributes to our... With those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. But that can't happen unless we've given him entrance into our life. He wants entrance. Why? Because he wants to do great things in our life. And if we're wise, we'll let him in. You know, no church is perfect. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this church but uh, I, I'd be a fool and I'd be a liar if I said boy we're just about the perfect church and you all are smart enough to know that we're not He's standing at the door of the individuals. Keep that in mind. He's standing at your imperfection in the church. The first thing we think of is, man, we need to do something about that. spark that ignites a revival that will change the situation i think one of the major problems is so many times we want to we want to try to change our circumstances without changing our character we want everything around us to be better we want it to be different but we don't want to change and a better church always begins with better members so if you expect the church to change, you it's not fair for any of us to look at the church and to point out the imperfections and then not do anything to try to to try to be the answer for us to be the solution that God uses to help lift someone up out on the right road not only listen you'll profit from it yourself look at verse 21 to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame 
There's no doubt about that. I, I don't. I, I, wonderful that is to think about what Christ did, what He overcame, and the fact that. overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne it's amazing else there it's as though God is speaking to each one of them personally individually and he's persistent behold I stand at the door and knock he didn't say I stood at the door and knocked and now I'm gone. No, it, it's in a He is persistent. Were to sit at our table. fellowship with him and when that happens he says I will allow you to sit on my throne is toward that end that's what why he's doing it it's not like there's something in it for him in the sense that it makes him better or happier or more perfect but it's for us religion Contrary to them, Christ is the one taking the initiative to have fellowship world. The other religions here, they envision a God to seek them. And so he tells us here that, that if you'll grant me entrance, that is control, is it? You know, that is actually going to happen during the thousand year run. throne here upon this earth and he rules with a rod of iron from from the throne of his father David he is in absolute total control 
And it's just remarkable that he says, and you're going to rule with me. That's what he's prepared. In other words, I preached a sermon years ago. And feed herself. One of the most pitiful sights. She is on the very threshold of death. And I sat there, and the best way that I knew, without being too intrusive in their personal problems, I, I, uh, I mentioned what God had done in my life because you know all of us at some time we get to the point that we wonder uh, why do the righteous the ungodly prosper especially 2 Corinthians chapter 4 helped me so much but to understand what God is doing and how all of these trials and these tribulations and everything, just as Christ learned obedience himself, how did he do it? By the things that he suffered. Now don't misunderstand that verse. It's not saying like he was incomplete and had a lot to learn and imperfection. That's not what that means. But it simply means that through the... of that prepared him for what it prepared him to be our advocate our mediator our high priest because he was tempted in all points such as we are and yet without sin don't ever think he doesn't know how they understand your problems they know about your needs And we're going to rule and reign with him literally here during that entire thousand year. And he's. Now, I'm not smart enough to give you the exact job description he's going to have for you. I. of God's word that it does he's training us for reigning when we're with him are going to rule over the nations you know the question is here's the question are you listening are you are you listening that that's basically what he what he's been saying to them verse 22 he that has an ear let him hear I can't help but wonder, when they read this letter in the church at Laodicea, I just wonder, when those words were read, he that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches, 
So the question is then, with this information, how will we respond? And maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm kind of on the fence. You know, I, I love the Lord. I'm trying to, you know, I, I want to please Him. and uh, But I, I don't want to become some religious fanatic. I don't want my whole life to be, you know, wrapped up in in serving God. And maybe you're on the fence tonight. Let me leave you something to think about. Something that is mentioned in all seven letters here. And that's the overcomer's reward. Going back to Ephesus there, the very first letter, he said, for the overcomer, they will what? Eat of the tree of life. To Smyrna, he said, not to be heard of the second death. At Pergamos, he said, they will eat of the hidden manna and they'll receive a white stone. I don't have time to explain all of those, but... But that was very meaningful. At Thyatira, he said, they'll have power over the nations and rule them. And the morning star, believe me, that is a mind-boggling statement. To the church at Sardis, he says, speaking about the overcomer, they'll be clothed in white remnant and confess, and his name will be confessed before. To the church at Philadelphia, he says here, there'll be a pillar in the temple of my God. <laughs> and then to the church at Laodicea, he says, they will sit with me in my throne. I don't know about you, but I want to be an overcomer. And by the way, if you're not an overcomer, I mean, it's one or the other. You know, many years ago, it was when they had their holiness club, and some of the some of the select, you know, I, I suppose anybody that was really really serious, in this, uh, they together. Well, I've never thought about doing that, but I think, you know, uh, 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 might be good to call it stagnated, their life is becoming unprofitable, so far and they've been overcome and the Lord has given us seven blessings associated with us being an overcomer so that being the case why in the world would we want to be anything else other than an overcomer why would we want to settle for anything less than that now maybe somebody's wondering well what in the world are you talking about an overcomer? Listen to what John said. This is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, 
even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Thank God we have, through Christ, we have overcome. It's not that, that we did. Don't ever stop growing and let God. In this church, be their light, be that spark. A desire to live only for God, a desire to please Him in everything you do. Because if we don't, what happens? We all tend to shrink back and settle at the lowest level. And we, we, we've got to avoid that. The overcomer's reward. That's where he stopped with them. The Lord could have written, no doubt, much, much. And then he said, now I want you to understand what's at stake. You can rule and reign with me. It's got to be one or it's got to be the other. I, I hope some way that this message has been for the service this morning. We had 230 in attendance, someone uh, profession of faith and coming for baptism and uh, and another one for church membership and that is so wonderful uh, but we need to, we need to anticipate and we need to do everything we can that God can do great things in our sight many many years ago let me sit down DL Mo he ever become famous at all because he wasn't an eloquent speaker or anything but boy he was somebody that loved God that was a soul winner started out with just and got his own Sunday school class together and and after a remember right he was on a, a ship not a cruise but a ship going to to preach, uh, I believe, in England. And someone, uh, another preacher, made the statement to him and said, Brother Moody, he said, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man who is fully surrendered to him. As time went on, Moody thought about that more and more, and he said, as he wrote in his autobiography, he said, I determined that by the grace of God, I want to be that man. And that, that's the attitude every one of us ought to have because it's true. The world is yet to see.
But I don't think for one second it's like God's saying, well, there it is, I've really blessed you and that's enough. The spigot's going to be turned off. As long as we stay yielded to the Lord, there's no respect from him.